Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Menashe, and this week we're devoting several episodes to student housing. This is a very important asset class that is a subset of multifamily investing. I love student housing. It was one of the very first multifamily investments I made when I entered the multifamily market. I know that not everyone feels the same way I do about student housing. They worry about young people away from home for the first time, acting irresponsibly, failing to manage their money properly, wild parties, and damaging the property. They also worry about the fact that the academic school year lasts eight months, and the loss of four months' rent could be a huge, huge negative. Now, most cities don't have a classification for student housing. It falls under the same category as rental housing. There are a number of ways to profit in student housing. Now, first, you want to maximize the number of bedrooms in any apartment because you can often charge by the bedroom instead of by the apartment as a whole. For example, a four-bedroom apartment that on its own would attract, let's say, a monthly rate of $1,700 a month, that same apartment rented at $600 per bedroom would attract $2,400 a month. So simply renting it by the bedroom versus renting it by the entire apartment can get you a lot more money. In our experience, it's important to sign a 12-month lease for the entire apartment with a group of students. Even though you might price it by the bedroom, you still want a single lease for the entire apartment. That way, if a student drops out of school, their rent will be covered. We also ask the parents to sign parental guarantees. That extra level of accountability makes a big difference, again, in our experience. I know several student housing operators who don't sign a 12-month lease. In fact, they sign an 8-month lease, and then they put the property into the short-term rental market during the summer months. Renting a single room for $50 a night is cheap compared with many hotel alternatives. With high occupancy during the summer months, you can maximize your revenue far in excess of, let's say, the $600 that you might get for a bedroom from a student. So there's no fixed way to run this business. Really, you just got to figure out what works for you. Some student housing apartments have a large number of bedrooms. I've seen some with seven or eight bedrooms per apartment. Now, some cities and lenders are quick to classify a property like that as a rooming house, especially if it appears to be operating like one. There are a few tests that cities and lenders use to determine whether you're running a rooming house. So number one, do the roommates know each other? If not, then you might be running a rooming house. Are there individual locks on each bedroom door? If so, it could be argued that you are in fact running a rooming house. And number three, is there a single lease for the entire apartment or are there multiple rental agreements for each room? You don't want to be running a rooming house. Trust me on this one. This could, number one, put you in violation of the city's zoning ordinance, but more importantly, the banks don't like to lend against rooming houses. They're much more difficult to get financed, so make sure you stay on the right side of that property classification. In an area of increased competition, I think it's important to have a product that's differentiated in the market. It doesn't matter whether we're talking about student housing or anything else. For example, if you're close to, let's say, a medical school, you might choose to cater to medical and nursing students. If you have uh, students that are going to be taking classes online, you want to make sure that high-performance internet service is in place. One of the biggest complaints that I get when I talk to students is that the internet service is not up to their standards. I've seen, for example, some landlords collect rent every second Friday in line with when students get paid with their part-time jobs. And I've seen, for example, other landlords cater only to women, creating a safe women-only environment. And finally, you want to make sure that you look at the unit mix in the market. Some student housing operators like to focus on undergraduate students, since that's the largest part of the market. 
the preferences for some of the more mature graduate students are generally for smaller one or two bedroom units versus the larger units that first year students tend to gravitate towards. We notice a surplus of three, four, and five bedroom units in around Temple University. That's where we have a lot of our student housing. And we noticed a shortage of ones and twos. So we elected to focus all of our new construction on the smaller unit sizes. They were in much, much higher demand. In fact, we had some three-bedroom units that were rented by a single individual because that's all they could find. Most important, you want to pay close attention to the overall supply-demand equation. I always want to see a large mismatch between demand and supply. You can get a good picture of what's going on by talking directly with the student housing office. They have a pretty good feel for what's going on on and around campus, and they also conduct market studies, and they'll often share those market studies with you. So that's a really, really important tip. Talk to the student housing office. They will give you a ton of really good information. So in the meantime, if you're thinking about student housing, certainly feel free to reach out to me. I'm happy to share what I know. Uh, You can connect with me directly at victor at victorjm.com. That's victor at victorjm.com. In the meantime, have a spectacular day. Go make some great things happen, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow.